You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Matthew talks about part of that rest that Jesus uh, will give to us. It's a soul rest. It's a rest for your spirit. It's not just a physical rest. It's that, but it's so much more. It's, it's a soul rest where, where you can just unload whatever burden or weariness you're carrying. Uh, and, and he says, um, you'll take my yoke upon you. Uh, you'll carry my burden. And he says, my yoke is light. My burden, it, it, my yoke is gentle. My burden is light. And so he exchanges our heaviness uh, and gives to us his lightness. And so again, it, it's just a beautiful invitation to any and all. And he just says, come to me, any of you who are weary and heavy laden. I heard this story about a pet owner, a pet store truck delivery going down the road. And at every stoplight it came to, the driver would get out of the driver's seat, run back to the truck with this huge two by four, and he would just start beating on the sides of the truck, and then he would get back in and drive, and when he came to the next stop sign or the next stoplight, he would get out with that two by four and go back, and he would just start banging the sides of this truck, and he just did that every stop sign, every stoplight he came to. And so finally, someone who was kind of following him and, and sees this several times kind of sticks their head out the window and says, hey, mister, what are you doing? And he says, this is only a two-ton truck, and I'm carrying four tons of canaries, and I got to keep two ton of them in the air at all times. <laughs> and when I heard that, I thought, you know, that is such a great analogy of life sometimes, isn't it? Many of us are so overloaded and we're so overwhelmed in life and we're trying to do more and more and we just keep adding more and more to our lives and our schedules and we try to keep so many things uh, going as possible, keeping it all from kind of crashing down. I remember when I was in college, there was a guy in my dorm who was a juggler and man, this guy was good. I mean, he could juggle seven, eight balls. He could juggle, you know, plates and bowling balls and hoops. And uh, he would even, you know, juggle these flaming sticks. And I was just always amazed when I'd kind of just sit and watch him do this. So one day I said to him, hey, would you, would you just teach me how to juggle? He said, sure, I'd love to. So we kind of started with three really small balls and it took me months and months and months of just practicing and, and doing this every day, trying to get you know, the, the rhythm and getting them thrown up to the right height and in the right place. And eventually over time, I got really, really good at juggling three balls. And he said, now let's try four. So, you know, started working with four and, and that was really, really tough. And that took me a lot longer to, to really get to where I could juggle four balls instead of three. And there was a point and it was just probably a good six months down the road where I finally got really, really good at being able to juggle four balls. And he said, okay, now let's add five. I, I, I worked at that and worked at that and worked at that and worked at that for a long, long time time, I could never master the five balls. Four was kind of my limit. Anything beyond that, it just all kind of came crashing down. And again, that's the way life is for a lot of us. 
Sometimes we can handle three or four things in life and, and do well and kind of keep everything going. And then life has kind of a way of, of maybe adding another ball or another circumstance or another situation or another challenge or another problem. And, and, and you know, we make the adjustment and we work at it and, and eventually we kind of incorporate that in and, and life goes good. And then life has a way of kind of just adding more and more. And there just comes a point to where we reach our limit and we just can't take any more. And it all comes crashing down. Some people can only juggle a few things in life, and when they try to add more, it becomes too much. And so we're in this series uh, calling The Road to Recovery. We've been basing this series in part on the ministry of Celebrate Recovery, which we're in the process of launching here at Praise Community Church beginning on Tuesday, October 17th, and we'll be offering that every Tuesday evening from there on. In your bulletin this morning, there's an insert that kind of outlines the many different volunteer positions that we need to make Celebrate Recovery successful and to have the impact that we want it to have. And you can choose to volunteer in any uh, one or several of those roles. You can do that on a weekly basis or maybe you can only add in just one time a month. So if you're interested, we would just encourage you, fill that out, you know, check whatever boxes are appropriate on there, um, and then uh, get that turned back into um, either Janie or Cheryl, or you can hand it to me, and then someone will get in contact with you uh, and help you kind of get uh, involved in that. For those of you that maybe are not familiar with Celebrate Recovery or would like to maybe find out, you know, what, what would a typical evening of Celebrate Recovery uh, be like, we're offering an opportunity to attend a trial run. It's kind of a dress rehearsal. Um, and we're going to be doing that on Tuesday, October 3rd. And that night, we're just going to offer the whole package. And we're going to start at 515 with a complimentary. We're going to make it a really uh, nice meal. And uh, we're going to have the large group experience uh, with worship, a testimony. It's everything you would experience and encounter if you were to come to a regular Celebrate Recovery meeting. So if that's something that you think, man, I'd, I'd kind of like to see maybe this is all about, that would be an opportunity uh, for you to attend that evening. There's also a box there on that insert in your bulletin where you can kind of check that box. Hey, I, I'd like to come. It just helps us in planning uh, to make sure that there's enough food for uh, everyone. And then uh, on October 17th, we'll start offering that on a weekly basis. Now, one of the core principles uh, in Celebrate Recovery is that we gotta get right with God first before we can ever get right with ourselves and right with one another. We gotta start by getting our lives right with God. And sometimes that involves having really fierce and frequent, hard, honest conversations and also a safe place to do that. And one of the things that Celebrate Recovery strives for is we wanna hopefully kind of, you know, be a catalyst for those fierce and those hard, those difficult conversations. But we also wanna provide a very safe place for people to have those conversations. 
In these last several weeks, we've been focusing on that word recovery, celebrate recovery. And we've taken that word recovery and we've kind of broken it down in each letter uh, in that word recovery. And we've been kind of using it as a means uh, to learn how do we recover from life's hurts, our habits, and our hangups. And using God's wisdom from his word. Several weeks ago, we started there with the letter R in recovery. And we said that that kind of stood for realizing I am not God. Admitting we are powerless to, to control other people. We are powerless to overcome the hurts, the habits, the hangups um, that, that so easily dominate us. We're, we're powerless to overcome that without Christ's help. The letter E in recovery stood for earnestly believing that God exists, that I matter to him and my life matters to him, that what I'm going through matters to God and that he alone has the power to help me recover. We talked about this being kind of linked to uh, Hebrews 11, uh, chapters uh, 11, verse six, where it says anyone, which includes everyone, anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently and earnestly seek him. We call that first step, that realizing I'm not God, we call that the reality step. The E one, earnestly believe that God exists, we call that the hope step. The letter C in recovery stands for consciously choosing to commit all of my life and my will to Christ's care and control. And they base that step on what we just saw there in the video, Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28 there. Come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, Jesus says. You take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. He says, for I am humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Jesus says, come to me. It's an invitation. It's God's invitation. And it's an invitation that is extended to everyone. A lot of us have heard these verses of scripture before and, and oftentimes we've never acted on it. Why is that? I mean, we have this great, this wonderful, this beautiful invitation of Jesus to come to him, those of us who are weary and heavy burden, and oftentimes we don't. Why is that? What causes us to procrastinate giving our weariness and our heavy burdens over to God? And what is it that causes us to delay surrendering and giving our lives over to to the care and control of Christ. I wanna talk about this morning what I think are the five most common reasons to not surrendering our lives to the care and control of life or Christ. And they are pride, guilt, fear, worry, and doubt. That first one there on the list, there's pride. And pride will keep us from admitting our problems as well as our need for help. 
I heard someone once say, pride is the last thing that leaves the human heart and it's the first one to return. It's so true. Proverbs 18, 12 says, arrogant people are on the road to ruin because they won't admit it when they need help. All of us need help. All of us need recovery from certain things, certain areas in our lives. None of us in this room, including myself, are immune from that. We all have hurts, habits, and hangups we need recovery from. And that first step is simply to admit we're powerless to fix it on our own. How many men will not stop and ask for directions, right? That's our pride. Pride will keep us from admitting we need help or recovery from those hurts, those habits, those hangups. And again, it's one thing to take pride in our work. It's, you know, one thing to take pride in certain accomplishments. But it's another thing when that pride becomes toxic or, or negative or it becomes uh, very much about uh, inflating our own ego or our own uh, sense of accomplishment, that, that sense of feeling that maybe we're better than other people and that we don't need anyone or we don't need anything. I'm just fine the way I am. It's interesting that it was the sin of pride which led Lucifer to fall from his status as the morning star or the light bearer. And it was pride that caused him to become Satan, who then went on uh, to usher in the fall of mankind. All of that began from the place of pride. The second response that keeps us from admitting our need for help is guilt. All of us have experienced guilt and shame. And this occurs because we feel maybe too ashamed of the things in our lives to ask God for help. Psalm 40 verse 13 kind of captures this response best. It says, problems far too big for me to solve are piled higher and higher than my head. Meanwhile, my sins, too many to count, have caught up with me and I'm ashamed to look up. Ever felt that way? Ever been at that place in life where you just feel like your, your sins, your problems, your burdens, everything is just kind of piling up? And sometimes we feel too ashamed or maybe we feel like uh, we've done so much of that, we've inflicted that upon ourselves. So much so that we're ashamed or we feel guilty coming and asking for God's help. Or we feel like the things that I've done, that there's so many and they're, they're so horrible that I could never ever bring myself to ask God to help me. I've blown it so many times. I'm sure that God is done with me and wants nothing to do with me. And again, that's the enemy. Nothing is further from the truth. The scriptures tell us that there is no sin too big, no sin too great, no sin too deep, that the blood of Christ is not able to forgive us and to wash us clean. The third response that keeps people from admitting our need for help is fear. I'm afraid of what God might ask me to do if I actually give him my life, if I actually surrender to him. I'm afraid of where he may ask me to go. I'm afraid of what he may ask me to do. 
For many people, they fear the direction God would take their life if they really got serious about their relationship with him. Some people may feel like, man, if I ever came to God, if I ever gave my life to God, he would probably you know, make me become a nun or a priest or, or God would take me to some malaria-filled swamp in Africa and make me be a missionary. And we fear that. We fear that God's gonna take us somewhere we don't wanna go. God's gonna make us do something we don't wanna do. And so we just push away. We push God back with our fear. Again, we just fear if we ever get serious about our walk, our relationship with God and his plans for our lives, he's just gonna ruin it by making us do something miserable. The core issue is we don't wanna be controlled when the truth is you're being controlled all the time. Every one of us in this room this morning, we are being controlled by something. Some of you may be controlled by the opinions of other people. Some of you may be controlled by the media. Some of you are maybe controlled by hurts that you haven't been able to let go of, people you haven't been able to forgive, and you're controlled by that. You're consumed by that. You're controlled by hurts and habits and hangups. Maybe you're controlled by the way your parents brought you up. Maybe by past relationships. Every one of us in this room are controlled by something. Do you know what freedom is? True freedom is choosing who controls you. When you give your life and you, you give all of your cares and you give control of your life over to Christ, Bible says he sets you free. He says those who are sin, those who sin are slaves to sin, but he said if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Jesus says, I will set you free. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so God the Father wants us to be controlled by his Holy Spirit. And when we're controlled by his Holy Spirit, he leads us to places of freedom. Bob Dylan used to say, you're gonna have to serve somebody, even if it's your own ego. But true freedom is choosing who my master will be. So what are we afraid of? What are we holding on that we think, I can't let go of this in order to give my life to God? Is it a relationship? Ambition? A habit? A lifestyle? Is it a possession that I just can't let go of? I can't surrender that to give my life fully to Christ. And Jesus asked this great question in Mark chapter eight, verse 36. And he says, how does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul in the process? Is anything worth more than his soul? And the obvious answer there is no. When you take this third step, by giving up everything, eventually you will come to the realization that your life has never felt freer. 
because God takes whatever we give him, all of the broken pieces, all of the hurts, all of the habits, all of the hangups, we just give that all to him. He turns it around. His word says that, that he takes all things and he works it all together for good. And in that we find freedom. The fourth response that keeps people from admitting our need for help is worry. Worry can arise when we confuse the decision-making process with the problem-solving process. That's a lot of times where a lot of our worry comes from. Back in 1963, President John F. Kennedy made this public announcement. He said, we're gonna put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. That was the decision, that was the goal. Had the problem been solved to make that a reality? Had the problems all been solved when he made that decision, that proclamation? No. And that's why it's wise to never confuse decision making with problem solving. Because when you confuse them, chances are you'll never make the decision. You'll never pull the trigger. You have to make the decision, make the declaration, and then begin to address and solve the problems. Kennedy said, we're going to the moon. And then it became NASA's problem to figure out the solutions. If you wait for all of the stoplights to turn green first, you'll never go anywhere. You can't solve all of your problems first. So start by making the decision, I'm just gonna open my life to the care and control of Christ. I am gonna surrender my life to Christ. I'm gonna give it all to him, the good and the bad, the right and the wrong. I'm just gonna give it all to him. The Christian life, for the most part, is a decision followed by a process. Same with recovery. It is a decision. I am going to recover this area of my life with Christ's help. In World War II, the Marines had a definite strategy they used when they went to retake the Pacific from the Japanese. And they used the same identical strategy on every island and it worked every time. First thing the Marines would do is they would go to the island that had been taken captive and they would just start bombing it. And they would just pelt this island, this area with bombs and grenades and all kinds of explosives. And that, they called that the softening up period. Most people who begin to start working on serious issues in their lives have gone through what we would call a softening up period. Meaning all kinds of explosions maybe have been going off in your life and it's just kind of spreading and sending fragments everywhere. And maybe you find yourself saying, this isn't working. And you come to that point where you say, I need something beyond myself. Again, it's God is using those 
those bombs going off in your life, all that chaos, all that confusion. He's softening up your pride. He's softening up your independence. He's softening up your stubbornness. He's trying to bring you to that place where you realize, I can't manage this on my own anymore. I need God's help. Second phase, the Marines would come in and they would establish what they call a beachhead. And it would maybe only be maybe 20 yards deep, maybe 200 yards wide, but they would just establish a presence on that island. And when they had established the beachhead, they had, you know, when, when they established that beachhead, had they completely liberated the entire island? No. They had just gotten started. They just got in. They just created a presence. From there, they begin to fight the battle. And sometimes they'd move 100 yards further in and sometimes they would get pushed back. And sometimes they would win the battle, sometimes they would lose it. But everyone knew that once they established a beachhead, total liberation was inevitable. It was coming. It was just a matter of time. And the history of World War II, once the Marines had landed, and established a beachhead, they never lost an island. It was just a matter of time that the entire island would become liberated and free. When you make this third step, when you just give complete control of your life to Christ, what's happening is God is establishing a beachhead in your life. The Bible calls it conversion or being born again. It simply means you are giving God a presence in your life that he's never had before. Does that mean everything in your life then just instantly becomes perfect and carefree from then onward? No. It simply means God is now in your life. God now has a place and a presence in your life and you begin to fight the battles together. And sometimes those life's battles, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna make great progress and other times there's gonna be setbacks. But if you'll stay at it, if you'll continue to work in partnership with God, if you'll continue to surrender your life, your cares, control to him, eventually he will liberate you. He will bring you to a place of complete freedom. The fifth and final response that keeps people from admitting our need for help is doubt. I want to believe, I wanna trust, but my faith just seems so small. It seems so inadequate. If that's you, you need to know the story of a guy who brought a demon-possessed son to Jesus. The story's found in Mark's gospel, chapter nine, and beginning in verse 17. It says, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and he said, teacher, Jesus, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. Whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast the evil spirit out, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, bring the boy to me. So he brought the boy to Jesus. 
But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He said, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. I love Jesus' response. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus said, anything is possible if a person believes. And this father instantly cried out, and this is a beautiful, it is a very honest, gut-wrenching prayer. He says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus cast out the demon and the boy is healed. The point here is, even when we lack the faith to believe that God will help us or that God cares, we can just pray like this father and we can just ask God, God, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And God is not put off by that kind of a prayer. God is not frustrated. He's ready and he's waiting for us to ask him to help us overcome our doubts, our unbelief, our lack of faith. But don't you have to have big faith? I mean, have you ever heard that? Oh, you just need more faith. Look what the Bible says in Matthew 17, 20. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible to you. Do you realize what that's saying? It's saying it is not the quantity it's not the size of your faith that matters to Jesus. It's the quality. It's what is your faith made up of? You can have mountains and mountains and tons and tons of the wrong kind of faith. The Bible says nothing will happen. But you can have the smallest, tiniest amount of biblical faith it doesn't have to be much at all. And baby, you're gonna move mountains. It's never ever about the size of your faith. It's never about how much faith you've got. Have you got the right kind of faith? Is your faith and trust in God? That kind of faith, Jesus says, nothing is impossible. So how do we begin taking this third step of giving complete control of my life to Jesus Christ? There may be some of you here this morning, you've never done that. You've never ever given your heart and your life completely over to Jesus. How do you do that? Well, the first step is you just gotta receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You will never ever have true freedom. You'll never ever have that everlasting peace until you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You'll never be free from hurts, habits, or hangups until you allow him to establish a beachhead, a presence in your life. And you start that, you begin that by just saying, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, be my savior. Save me from my sins. Save me from myself. Save me from my hurts, my habits, my hangups. Romans 10, 13 says everyone, everyone 
who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'll never forget, there was a time in my life where I was not a Christian and somebody had preached the gospel to me and, and they preached this exact verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I began to just feel this incredible, intense pounding in my heart. And I knew it was Jesus knocking on the door of my heart. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is standing at the door of some of your hearts this morning and he's knocking. And look what he says, if anyone hears my voice, if you'll just open that door, if you'll just invite me in, he says, I will come in and fellowship with you and you with me. The door that Jesus stands at and is knocking this morning is the door of your heart. And this third step, this E, Letter E, it begins by just opening that door of your heart and inviting Christ in. Pilots, when they fly planes, they either fly by what they call IFR or VFR. Every pilot flies by one or the other. VFR stands for visual flight rules. IFR stands for instrument flight rules. IFR is when you taxi out on a runway, you go over to the control tower, and you submit to the control tower the controls of your system, and you set your instruments, and it's done. You're controlled by the instruments on the plane, and it's a very, very safe way of flying. VFR, the visual flight rules, you kind of just taxi onto the runway and you kind of begin to look around. Are there other planes uh, anywhere around on the runways? Are there any planes in the sky? You're, you're kind of using your sight to determine when it's safe to take off. And VFR is fine as long as you can see everything. If it's clear weather, if there's not a lot of other air traffic, but one day, if you fly long enough by VFR, you're going to eventually hit bad weather. You're gonna get lost in some clouds. You may get tangled up in a thunderstorm. And at one point, you're gonna have to pick up that microphone and you're gonna have to radio in and you're gonna have to say, I need to switch over to IFR. And what you're doing is you're submitting in that moment the control of the plane. And all airlines fly by IFR. All pros fly by IFR. But a lot of amateurs fly by VFR. The FAA says that a lot of these small plane crashes, many if not most of them, could have been averted if they would have just been flying by IFR. Where they just pick up the microphone in, the, in their, their time of trouble and say, hey, I need to switch over. I need to give control of the instruments and the plane over to you. I need help. 
Maybe some of you here this morning, maybe you've made it so far in life by flying VFR. Maybe you've controlled everything pretty well up to this point. But I'll tell you what, there's gonna come a time in life If it hasn't already, there'll come a situation, there'll come circumstances in life where you're gonna have bad weather. You're gonna have situations that are beyond your control, above your head, and you're gonna hit tough spots in life, maybe lose a job, lose a loved one. Maybe you're gonna lose your health. You're gonna hit the clouds where you flip upside down and you don't even know which direction you're going. At that point, you're gonna need to pick up the radio. You're gonna need to switch over to God's system. At some point, you gotta surrender your life to the complete control and care of Christ, or it is an invitation to disaster. The second step is to accept God's word as the standard for living. Once we've given control, once we've surrendered our lives to Christ, We've got to begin to read, we've got to study, we've got to meditate upon God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture, that means all of it, Old Testament, New Testament, from Genesis 1.1 to the end of Revelation, all scripture is inspired by God and it is useful, it's helpful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses this to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You will never ever discover God's plans and purposes for your life apart from his word. It is one of the ways that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. He uses his Holy Spirit. He uses his son, Jesus Christ, to reveal himself, but he also uses his word to reveal himself to us. Our motto here at Praise Community Church is changing lives through the unchanging word. And we believe that one of the ways that God changes lives for the better is through his word. Third step is just to ask the Holy Spirit to continually fill you. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do what? All things through Christ who gives me strength. I love how the Amplified Bible translates this verse. It says, I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me To fulfill his purpose, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength, confidence, and peace. God does not expect you and I to live the unsurrendered life to Christ in our own strength and power. So he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we are enabled equipped and empowered to live life just like Jesus lived. Those three steps, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, submitting daily to his word, 
and being continually filled every day, every moment, in every circumstance and situation with his Holy Spirit will firmly establish us on the road to complete recovery. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. I wanna do a prayer of consecration. And I'm just gonna ask all of us here this morning to do this together. We're gonna read this together. And I'm just gonna ask you this morning as, as a part of that consecration, I just want you just to put your hands out in front of you this morning. If you're comfortable doing that, no one, if everybody does it, then nobody has to feel uncomfortable, right? Because we're all doing it. I just want you to just put your hands out in front of you as a way of, of just making this your prayer this morning. And let's just pray this together. Jesus, with your help and your power, today I consecrate everything to you. All I had, all I have, and all I will ever have. All I have been, all I am, and all I will ever be. I offer it all up to you, Lord. I consecrate my time, my possessions, my wealth, reputation, family, relationships, accomplishments, and ministry to you. I consecrate and offer up my hopes, dreams, desires, and will to you, Lord God Almighty. They all belong to you. For you alone own the cattle on a thousand hills. I consecrate all of this to you for your purposes and glory. Jesus, I offer up and consecrate to you all my pain, hurt, anger, hatred, sin, fear, bitterness, resentment, sorrow, and unforgiveness. All of the defiling, desecrating, and unrighteous acts done by me and done to me. Jesus, I want to be holy and whole. Heal me emotionally, deliver me spiritually, heal my body, set me free from shame and guilt, fear and anxiety, depression and despair. Break any curses spoken over me by myself or others. I consecrate to you the times I have allowed myself to be offended. Jesus, be my vision, my mission, my peace, my joy, and my hope. Open the door of my heart so I can release the kingdom of God into the kingdom of this world. Take back the territory, push back the darkness, and defeat the power of evil as your grace and power working through me allow. Using the gifts you have given me, I ask all of this in your name, Jesus Christ, Lord God Almighty, creator and king of the universe, believing by faith that this work has already begun. Amen. As we continue uh, in worship this morning. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.